Good morning. Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, in the NIV 2011 version. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a loud a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well for on account of him many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, John. We are continuing in our series that we started a while ago on people who encountered Jesus and whose lives were impacted by it. Some to come to believe and follow him. Not everybody did, as we'll have a look at this morning. We're going to look at particularly Judas, but not just him. We'll also glimpse at Mary on the way through and maybe some others. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity, the freedom that we have to read it, to study it, to learn from it. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand this portion of your word and that our lives might be aligned with your purposes and that our lives might bring pleasure to your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, most of you will know a fair bit about Judas. Uh, push the pause button. Before I go any further, let me remind you of this, that over on the side walls at the exit, <clears throat> there is a little card thing there at, uh, for prayer and praise notes. If you're here for the first time and you wanted to give us your information, then that's one way of doing it. Just grab a card and fill the details in and then we we'll, can get in touch with you. But for all of you, there is a, a place on the back that you're aware of, most of you, um, where you can write down prayer points or praise points, thank you points. It's a way that we can share together. And so I commend that to you to grab a card and just fill it in and write down your prayer and praise and there you have an option then of either ticking a box where it'll be sent to all of the people who receive our prayer and praise notes over 100 or you can just make it private and confidential and it'll then just go to the pastoral staff and they'll pray for you and uh, about that issue or in give thanks and praise to God for it okay that's the end of the announcements <clears throat> Judas Iscariot his name Judas once a very popular name, once a very honoured name. 
named uh, Judas Maccabeus, one of the heroes of uh, Judaism of the second century BC. Uh, two of the apostles were named Judas. In fact, Judas Iscariot is often referred to and then in comments, the one who betrayed him. In one of the Gospels at one point it says Judas, not Iscariot, not that one, the other one. Um, Judas means either to be led by God, which is ironic because he wasn't led by God, he was led by Satan, or it means praise, one worthy of praise, one who brings praise to God. Um, and so while it was an honoured name, and in fact one of Jesus' own brothers was called Judas, but he changed his name to Jude, shortened it, um, which is understandable. Nobody names their child or even their dog now Judas. If you look up Judas in the thesaurus, you'll find, if you look up the words betrayal or um, to trick, to cheat, you'll find an example often given of Judas uh, to illustrate it. Iscariot it simply means it's a combination of two Hebrew words, ish meaning the man of and kerioth, which is the name of a village. So Iscariot is a geographical term. He's the man from Kerioth, which is down south of Jerusalem which means he's the only one of the 12 who was not from Galilee and the north. He's from the south. He's different. So much for his name. Um, one's very common. And Jesus picks him. Jesus spent all night in prayer before he selected amongst the disciples, the 12 who would, would call apostles. And Jesus picks Judas. wonder Why? And the answer that I can come up with is because Jesus knew the plan of God. Jesus picked him because the Father would have led him to, but Jesus picked Judas. I don't think to set him up. I think Jesus would have genuinely cared for Judas. And I think as you read through the Gospels, you'll see indications where Jesus is reaching out to Judas to give him an opportunity that he doesn't have to do what he's going to choose to do, even though it's part of the plan of God one of those divine mysteries that we accept both truths and we can't quite get it together. Judas was probably attracted to Jesus. He was certainly committed to Jesus because at one time in John chapter 6 when Jesus started speaking very strongly about being his disciple, if you're going to follow him, uh, it upset a lot of people and John tells us that from that point on many of the disciples went away and no longer followed him. Judas stayed. Judas hung around. In one sense, he's committed. I don't think he's committed on the spirit, spiritual level. I think he's committed on the selfish level. He's using Jesus. He can see that Jesus is probably going to be the one to bring in the kingdom. And he wants to be part of that. He wants to be part of the inside group. And so he's really using Jesus as a means to an end, for his own promotion, for his own ends. He wanted to be on that inside circle for position, prestige and power. And as I said, I think Jesus chose him in fact, Jesus prays in John 17 that in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, you know, I kept all of those that you've given to me, I haven't lost any except one, the son of perdition, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. And yet, Jesus also tells us in Luke 22, verse 22, that Judas was freely responsible for the choices he made. Part of the plan of God, and yet we each have our own freedom and our own responsibility to make the choices that we make and to live with the consequences of it. Judas's character, here is a man who walked 
talked, sat with, ate with, watched, listened to the Lord Jesus for three years, three and a bit years, and his life is not changed by it. Some people will often say, gee, if I saw a miracle, then I would believe. If I was there and I could hear Jesus speak and preach and do the things that he did, I'd believe. Well, maybe not. Because there were people there who did hear and see and watch who weren't changed. That's not automatic. It does come down to your own heart response, your own choice. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay, as they say. So Judas um, walked with Jesus, pretended to be a disciple, was sent out by Jesus. There's an interesting thought. Empowered by Jesus to perform miracles, heal people, and to cast out demons, Matthew chapter 10. We're not actually told that he did it, but the implication is that he's part of the 12 and he went and did what they did. And they had no means, no reason to suspect him. In fact, at the end, after the three years, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And not one person said, it's him. They all said, is it me? So he was a pretender, a hypocrite. And he must have been very good at it. Because nobody suspected him. In fact, Jesus gave him an honoured position. He was the treasurer of the group, as John tells us. Matthew was part of the group. He was a tax collector. He was into maths and looking after money and stuff. So why Judas? Well, I think that's one of the indications of Jesus reaching out to him to try and bring him in closer. The others, I think, trusted Judas. I don't think Jesus ever trusted him. But he loved him, he reached out to him, as we'll get to in a moment, the ultimate demonstration of Jesus' love and honour for this man who would betray him. So Judas was with Jesus, committed in the outward sense to Jesus, but not believing in him, not loving him, using Jesus as a means to an end. And people can still do that today. I'm not sure if you're aware of the Ravi Zacharias scandal, but you could use him as an illustration of someone who was using the gospel for his own ends. So for three years, Judas is walking with Jesus, talking with him and doing all those sorts of things, saw Jesus heal blind people. He was there when the ultimate miracle, what I think is the ultimate miracle, certainly in John's gospel, it's the turning point, in Jesus' uh, life ministry, in John chapter 11 and chapter 4, this one, it's where one of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus, has died. Mary and Martha send him a note and he waits till the fourth day. The significance of the fourth day is that the Jewish people believe that after the fourth day, it was irreversible. After one, two and three days, it was possible. The spirit could go back into the body and come back to life. But on the fourth day... It is now irreversible. Jesus waited to the fourth day to demonstrate his power um, uh, and his greatness, point to who he was. He was the Messiah. He was God the Son. Judas was there for that. And in fact, John tells us it's because of Lazarus that many people started to go after him. In a little while after this incident in Bethany, the, the dining room incident where Mary pours out the nard over Jesus, um, 
Jesus will then ride the donkey into Jerusalem. And in this chapter, it says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the grave uh, and raised him from the dead, they continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that, that he had performed that sign, went out to meet him. That's when he's riding the donkey. And the Pharisees said, see, said to one another, See, this is a, getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is going after him. The resurrection of Lazarus, the bringing back to life of Lazarus, suddenly became this very large public announcement that Jesus was here, that he was God the Son, that he had power. And the crowd thought, this is it. So did Judas. This is it. He's now going to overthrow the Romans. He's now going to set up the kingdom. So Judas is hanging in there, right up until this dying room incident, where something happened. In John 13, verse 2, it says that, Satan had put it into the mind of Judas to betray him. Somehow, so, uh, Judas was open to the influence of the evil one. So he was picked by Jesus. He's given a position of trust by Jesus, the treasurer. Jesus was reaching out to him all the way. And now we come to this incident. Six days before the Passover, there is a dining room. It's in Bethany. One of Jesus' favourite places to go because some of his favourite people were there, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, probably not married, still living in the same house, and Jesus spent a lot of time there if you read through the Gospels carefully. There was somebody else who lived in Bethany whom Jesus visited and healed. His name was Simon, Simon the leper. He was called Simon the leper because he was a leper, but Jesus healed him. Well, it's at Simon's house, the other Gospels tell us, where this meal was being held, which is why John has that expression. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. He was given a dinner in Jesus' honour. Martha served, as she's always serving, but it's not her house, but she's still helping out. Um, Lazarus was the one who was reclining at the table with him. He's kicked back, he's hanging out, and he's relaxing with Jesus. Where's Mary? Well, Mary has bought this with her. Mary took from her bag, or what it was that she was carrying, it says in the NIV, a pint of pure nard. Other English translations say about a pound. Think of a small jar, um, but it's about half a litre, 500 mils, something like that, of pure nard. Nard is an expensive and very pungent perfume. From the upper Himalayas, thousands of kilometres away, they carried it. Um, <clears throat> extremely expensive and, as I said, very pungent. And John, in fact, says, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Not wrong. Very expensive. Very generous gift for Mary. Why did she do it? It's out of the, the devotion of her heart towards Jesus. Did she realise that Jesus was about to die? Did she realise that she wouldn't have the opportunity to be able to anoint him, his dead body? Or did she do it just out of love and devotion and Jesus read that meaning into it? That's how John records it. And says this story, when the, wherever the gospel goes, this story will be told of her, so she in turn will be honoured. She stands behind Jesus, who is reclining at the table, and she pours it on his head, and it starts to run down, and she pours it on his feet. And then she does something. <clears throat> it must have been a close, intimate meal of people who really knew each other, because she let down her hair. 
doesn't mean anything to us, but to let down your hair in that culture was outrageous. It was provocative. But not at home. You could do that at home because you're amongst loved ones who know you and care for you. Just like, I guess, some of our Muslim friends might do the same. They're all covered up in public, but at private, they can take their coverings off. So here is Mary, takes her hair, wipes his feet with it, pouring out her love and devotion to him. Wherever Jesus went for the next few days, probably right up until Good Friday, he would still have the aroma, the fragrance about him. Wherever he went, people would get a whiff. And if that's true, and if that's the case, then even when the Romans on Thursday night, Friday, spat on him and punched him and drove nails into his feet and hands, they would have also have potentially smelt the aroma, this sweet-smelling perfume. Mary loved Jesus and thought, out of gratitude because her brother was back, but also just her love for Jesus, and she gives him her most precious thing. Nothing was too good to give to the Lord Jesus. She gave her best, which is what we need to do. Judas, who was there, who was now changing his character, he's moving from quietly being, uh, you know, involved, he's now getting a little more frustrated and impatient because he's beginning to realise that Jesus is not going to do what he wants him to do. Jesus is not going to throw the Roman government out. He's not going to set up the kingdom on earth. And to be fair to Judas, he's not alone. They all thought that right up until this point. Jesus honours her. And in the midst of this beautiful demonstration of devotion, there is this splash of greed. Judas is not a nice bloke. He's a bad man with a bad heart. In fact, this is the first thing that we have in the Gospels of what Judas actually said. These are his first words. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He sounds like he is sensible, concerned, humanitarian and generous. But he isn't. He's calculating, he's concealing and he is covetous. He's calculating. Just by leaning there and looking at Mary and seeing the size of the alabaster jar, he has calculated the size, the amount, the weight of it, and the cost of it. It's worth a year's wages, 300 denarii, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in our world. He's calculating. He's a selfish man who doesn't understand this unselfish act. He's concealing. He sounds like he's very concerned for the poor, but he wasn't at all. And Jesus says to him, leave her alone, which is a great quote. We should memorise that verse, leave her alone. Jesus says, you have the poor with you always. You can always minister to the poor. They're always going to be here. I won't always be here. She's taking the opportunity now to demonstrate her love and devotion to me. Jesus is not endorsing and saying the poor, leave the poor alone. He's saying, no, minister to the poor, but you'll have plenty of opportunity to do that, but you don't have plenty of opportunity to do this, so leave her alone. What she's done is she's kept this for my, uh, for my burial. So Jesus brings a deeper meaning to it. Judas is concealing it. Give it to the poor. And of course, John gives us this footnote 
The other Gospels don't name him, but John outs him, names him. It was Judas Iscariot who said this. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was a keeper of the money bag for the group, and he used to help himself to whatever was in it whenever he wanted it. So he is covetous. He's calculating, concealing, and covetous. Went against the grain for Judas to throw away such a large amount. He didn't understand it. The world doesn't understand. The world doesn't understand our devotion to Jesus. The world doesn't understand uh, us putting our money where our mouth is or our money where our heart is. The world doesn't understand us giving time to serve and love the Lord Jesus. I've told you before about my dad, whom I hope has gone home to be with the Lord, <clears throat> but I don't know. When I became a Christian, I became a school teacher, and I did that for about six years. And then the Lord called us, Rhonda and I, into ministry, and so I had to leave teaching. When I left home and went to university, teacher's college, Dad didn't say anything. When I married Rhonda, brought her home for the first time, Dad didn't say anything. When we got married, Dad didn't say anything. When I bought my first car, Dad didn't say anything. When I bought the first house, Dad didn't say anything. When I said, I'm leaving teaching and I'm going to the ministry, Dad got up from the dining room table, grabbed me by the arm, the elbow, come with me. He walked me into the next room, the lounge room, sat me down and said, are you sure? This is a big decision. Why give up that career for this? Didn't understand it. The world doesn't understand it. Why this waste? Judas is saying. It's not waste. It's a poured out heartfelt devotion to the Lord Jesus. He didn't get it. And the world doesn't get it. And the Lord certainly likes us. You being here this morning. You watching at home. Online. The Lord takes note. He loves for us to spend time with him and he loves for us to pour out our heartfelt devotion to him. In Malachi chapter, I've shown you this before, but I love this, the last book of the Bible and the second last chapter, at the end of that chapter, Malachi chapter 3, 16 and following, 316, should remember those numbers. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared, who loved the Lord, respected him and honoured his name. On that day when I act, the Lord says, they will be my treasured possession. God loves it when we spend time with him, when we are devoted to him, when we are listening to him, when we're obedient to him, serving him. He looks for it. Only the best is good enough for him. That's one of the things I get from this passage. In fact, let me give you this challenge. I'm doing this without any permission. This is just my idea, so I hope I don't offend anybody. Between now and our anniversary time, anniversary service, which is the last Sunday in August, that's what, five, six months, five months, something like that, away. Between now and then, every week, put aside a sum of money, how much, up to you? A dollar. Put it in the jar, put it somewhere. And on our anniversary service, for the next, I think it's five months, for the next five months, 
put some aside so that you can come and bring a financial love offering, thank offering to Jesus, a demonstration of your love and commitment to him for ministry. What are we doing? I don't know what we're going to do with it. But let's get hundreds of thousands of dollars and then say, Lord, what do you want us to do with it? Who do you want us to give it to? How do you want us to use this to serve and promote the glory of your name? A dollar a week. As I look out upon this very wealthy congregation, make it $2 a week. $5 a week. Pick your own amount. $100 a week. What is it? Is it five months? That's about 20 weeks. $100 a week, you'll bring, what's that, $2,000? Anyway, just an idea. Do you have to do it? No. Just between you and God. If you do it, wonderful. But don't, I'm not guilting you, don't feel you have to do it, but your names will be written down. <laughs> no, they won't. If not financially, then think of another way. Set aside an hour a week to spend with him. Every week for the next five months. Demonstrate your love and devotion to him. The Lord Jesus says to Judas, people can do things for me, you can do things for the poor all the time. She's doing this for me. Let's do something for him to show that. I asked the Lord that question this week. I said, Lord, what can I do for you? Here are my answers. These are for me and, of course, for you as well, I guess. You can thank me, you can praise me, you can trust me, you can obey me, you can serve me, you can honour me, you can exalt me, you can listen to me, you can glorify me before others, you can speak up for me, you can submit to me, you can wait before me, you can seek me, you can rely on me, you can give to me everything there's lots we can do to demonstrate our love for the lord jesus and in the context of that isn't it disappointing isn't it dreadful when human greed kicks in when human grasping hanging on to this material world spoils this lovely demonstration to the lord and judas like some people only see the money well judas is on a spiritual journey and it's going to end in darkness because you know the end. All 12 thought, like he did, that Jesus would bring in the kingdom. But with the resurrection of Lazarus, with the riding of the donkey into Jerusalem, and when Jesus didn't turn left, when he turned right and he went to the temple, not to the Praetorian Guard to get rid of them, when he went to the temple and he cleansed it, that was it. Judas knew it wasn't going to happen. And in John chapter 12 is where that turn happens. From attraction and fascination with Jesus, he turns to frustration and eventually betrayal. A disciple of Jesus, a follower, who betrayed him. Why? Well, because Jesus didn't do what he expected. So Jesus then, um, Judas finds an opportunity from that table, that meal, in Bethany, to go by night into Jerusalem, a short trip, and then back out again. He went to the temple, he spoke to the priest and he negotiated the price of Jesus. How much was it? 30 pieces of silver. How much was the alabaster jar? 300 denarii. Why don't we sell that, get 300 denarii and give it to the poor to what's Jesus worth? 30 pieces of silver. Thousands of dollars, 50 bucks. 
And see, the motivation of his heart was, well, he's certainly going to make a little bit of money out of it, but it wasn't the main thing. When he returns to Bethany and hangs around Jesus for the next four or five days, still pretending, Jesus then has the Last Supper and Jesus positions him. This is Jesus reaching out to him again. Jesus picked him, made him a disciple, an apostle. Jesus uh, gave him a, an honoured position of being the treasurer, placed him. Jesus positioned him. Judas, tonight at the Last Supper, I want you to sit on my left. A seat of honour. Remember James and John, Zebedee's parents, she wanted her, uh, her sons, James and John, to sit on Jesus' left and right in the kingdom, positions of honour. The Apostle John is on Jesus' right, leaning into Jesus. Judas is on his left, position of honour, but leaning away from Jesus. If I've got that right, then isn't that interesting? John, who was the disciple Jesus loved, is leaning towards him. And Judas, whom Jesus is trying to reach out to, is leaning away from Jesus. John is where Jesus wants us. Beside him, close to him, leaning into him, head almost on his chest where you can hear his heart and you can hear his voice, leaning towards him. Judas is one who pretends to be close to Jesus but is leaning away from Jesus. Can't make too much of that, but it's just an interesting thought. It's a good question. Which way are you leaning? All running. So Jesus, uh, Judas, among the followers, but he's against the master. Jesus now says to him, one of you will betray me. They all had no idea it was him. Jesus, of course, knew. And John, Peter, who's next to John, says, ask him which one it is, in a whisper. It's not out loud. Soft voice, ask him which one it is. John leans into Jesus and says, which one is it? Jesus says, the one to whom I dip this bread in the sop into this special paste, jam, sweet nuts and honey and stuff, into that mixture, the one I dip the bread into and give it to, John tells, Jesus tells John in a soft voice because the others don't hear it. And Jesus does that. And honours Judas, befriends him. That's a very special act to be involved in doing that. And Jesus does it for Judas. And Ju Judas takes it, eats it. Now John knows. I guess he told Peter. Before long they would all know. And then Jesus says to Judas, to what you're going to do, do quickly. Judas gets up, goes out. They all thought he was going to go and buy something or shop for something or give some money to the poor or something else. They went on board. Judas went back to Jerusalem, went to the temple, got the guards and was coming back because Judas knew the program. Jesus is leaving the table and he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And sure enough, Jesus does. You know the story. He's there with his disciples late at night. He takes Peter, James and John with him and he leaves them there and he goes on a bit further by himself and he prays. And that happens three times. And then Jesus knows that Judas is coming. He knows his time is up. Jesus gets up. He walks back past Peter, James and John, past the other nine disciples and greets Judas who is coming through the gate. Jesus steps forward. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. And they all fall backwards. Judas had arranged, because it's dark, the one I greet with a kiss is the one. That's him. Arrest him. 
Jesus had stepped forward to identify himself, so the kiss wasn't necessary. But Judas still did it. And Jesus makes the comment, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? With a demonstration of affection, when really your heart is hard and you're cold towards him. Jesus then, of course, you know, gets arrested. Judas, Matthew tells us, is filled with remorse. Um, takes the money, goes back to give it to the priests. They're not there. They're involved in Jesus' trial. And he throws the money into the temple and he leaves and he goes out and filled with regret, not repentance, just sadness and sorrow at what he had done and realising the terribleness of what he had done and he hangs himself into an eternal darkness. The money fulfills a prophecy, Zechariah chapter 11, about buying the potter's field. For Judas, this close follower of Jesus, had no place in his life or in his heart for the cross of Jesus. He wanted the crown, he wanted the glory, he wanted the material things. And in the end, he loses everything. What do we learn as disciples of the Lord Jesus? Here are two people who met Jesus, who encountered him. And typical of Jesus, there are two responses. Same is still true today. There are those who believe in him and will follow him and serve him. And there are others who will not believe, they won't follow, and they will not serve. They don't believe, they reject. What do we learn from this? Well, there are people, and Judas is one of them, of a missed opportunity exposed to the truth people in our world have opportunities God has placed you in particular places if you love and serve Jesus if you live for him if you're devoted to him God has placed around you people loved ones and family and work colleagues and neighbors to be an influence for him it's an opportunity that they have to see and to learn and to be attracted to Jesus but like Judas many of them will miss the opportunity they won't take it up this story tells us that the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It was for him. You could meditate upon the patience of God, how Jesus knew that the guy was ripping him off, that he's stealing money for three years, and Jesus lets him do it. The patience of God. God knows what sins you're involved in, what sins I do, what I'm involved in, and for some times he lets us get away with it. He's patient. Eventually, if you know him, he will bring conviction and he'll bring you out of it. But God is marvellously patient with us. Don't presume upon his goodness or his patience that everything is okay. Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Judas certainly says to us that it's quite possible to be involved in ministry, to pretend to be a disciple, but still to lack saving grace, to be changed in here. To be Christian in name, but not in practice. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 24, Pastor Charlie will talk about this tonight, no one can serve two masters. Judas would have heard Jesus say that. You can't serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Mammon. Passage reminds us that Judas was... Um, part of the plan of God that God is the one who is in sovereign control even our lives 
and that things that go on, good and they're not good, he's still in control. He's working his purposes out, trusting. And then finally, of course, Mary. Here is a lady who was fully devoted, gave her best to Jesus and challenges us, in a sense, to do exactly the same. So, which way are you leaning? Towards Jesus? Away from Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you impacted our world and you continue to impact lives. And it's a truth, Lord, as we've been meditating on this morning, that not everybody responds. In fact, some pretend to respond, but they're just pretending. Their lives are not really changed. Lord, have mercy upon them and upon us. Deliver us and forgive us for the times we pretend, pretend to be better than what we really are. Help us to be genuine and to follow you, to be devoted to you, to give you our best, to give you, Lord, everything, because we acknowledge that you are a good, good God, that your plan is the best plan. So help us, Lord, to accept that, submit to it, and to cooperate with you and your divine purposes. We ask and pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.